Hello and welcome to Looking to Score, the podcast where we geek out about movie scores, their composers, and everything else in between. I'm Brianne Brennan, and joining me, as always, is the greatest showman, Brett Blake. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Well, that's wonderful, because today, in the midst of winter, we are bringing you a bonus episode of our favorite scores of 2022. That's right. A little bit belated. Well, we had to we had to see everything and hear yep. everything. We had to, you know, do our due diligence. That's right. We had to go through the the short list of Oscar nominated scores to see uh, if they really were worthy of an Academy Award nomination. So that being said, was 2022 a good year for film scores? I, I definitely think so. Certainly in comparison to 2021, because I remember when we did this last year, it was a little bit of a struggle to kind of come up with enough scores to talk about to even make it worth doing an episode about. Whereas to me, that was not an issue at all this year. There were many, many scores that I enjoyed a lot, that I've been listening to a lot. And, you know, I don't think it, it's not going to go down as one of the all time great years, but I think it's certainly more than solid. Yeah, I'm a little on the opposite side. Uh, I would say (laughs) this year may have been more underwhelming than last year for me, or maybe about the same. Uh, It's hard to say because there wasn't a whole lot I could get excited about. And even creating a top 10 list this year was kind of a struggle. Like I went back and forth on a a few scores thinking, you know, do I put these on my top 10? But uh, I think it was actually a better year for... TV scores. Mm. So I think my favorite score for the year actually uh, was Bear McCreary's score for The Rings of Power. I've, I'm going to throw this out here as kind of my honorable mention because, you know, we're, we're just talking about film scores. But um, if you were to combine scores as a whole, TV, film, whatever, uh, this would probably make my number one spot. I think he had the monumental task of living up to Howard Shore's uh, Lord of the Rings scores. And he did it fantastically. And this cue, Numenor, is, I think, probably the best example of, you know, capturing the scope and grandeur of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think McCreary did really great work 
on a show that I ultimately did not enjoy. Oh. And I think, and I think had I enjoyed it more, it, it probably would have been an honorable mention of mine. Um, in fact, I, I remember first listening to a good chunk of the score before I had seen any of the show and thinking, wow, like this show is going to be great because mm. the music for it is just like this. It's exactly what you want. And the show was not what I wanted. So it, it, I think in hindsight, that kind of, even though it's unfair, it kind of tarnishes the score a little bit for me, not tarnishes, but it's sort of, I don't, I don't immediately think of it as among the best of the year because I associate it with something that I didn't enjoy very much. Okay. Fair, fair. All right. So that leads us into uh, Oscar talk. Uh, we are getting close to the, what is it? The 95th annual Academy Awards this year. 94, or the 94, or... 6th. It would have was the first ceremony for the year of 27, but took place in 28. Then it would be the 95th. Okay. Whichever it is, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, are these scores for this year representative of the best of the year? So no, <laughs> here's, here's the list of what was nominated. We have Babylon by Justin Hurwitz, Everything Everywhere All at Once by Son Lux, The Banshees of Inishirin by Carter Burwell, The Fablemans by John Williams, and All Quiet on the Western Front by Volker Bertelman. You know, some of these scores I like, but I don't think they're representative of the best of the year. They never are. No, and the music branch, which sort of creates the short list, which then gets voted on by the wider academy to create the the final nominees the music branch i think generally tries to showcase a variety of score styles i don't really think they achieved that on their short list this year it's a lot of i would say for the most part kind of subdued sure and pretentious is a is a strong word with a negative connotation but you know trying to project a sense of importance Mm -hmm. And even scores that are on here that I would not say are subdued, like the Babylon score is not subdued. Like that is, no. <laughs> that is as far away from from subdued as you can get. Um, it still does feel like this is a quote unquote important score and therefore it has to be nominated rather than necessarily the most entertaining thing. We'll, we'll get into Babylon. I think we're going to have a slight disagreement <laughs> over this score, which should be interesting. But segueing into the John Williams Fableman's thing. Mm hmm. This is interesting to me because I don't really know how I feel about it in mm -hmm. the sense of I don't think it's a great score. There's, it's only like 20 some minutes long in a movie that's well over two hours. Uh, Spielberg only had Williams write 20 odd minutes worth of original score. It's a fine main theme and a lot of kind of not very particularly interesting underscore. Now. Do I want John Williams to win another Oscar? Absolutely. Because I think it's kind of preposterous that he's, on, he's only won five. And I know it's ridiculous to say <laughs> only he's, five. Only, he's only won five Oscars. You know, Jerry Goldsmith only won once. But, but this is, he hasn't won since 1993. Right. Is the thing. And, and, you know, you look at, there are so many years where, to me, it's kind of, unquestionable that he wrote the best score of the year whether you're talking about superman in 1978 empire strikes back 1980 raiders of the lost ark 1981 there are easily seven eight nine ten other scores for which he probably should have won the oscar so 
let's say in a hypothetical scenario, John Williams wins for the Fablements. How am I going to feel about it? On the one hand, I'm going to say, well, he's going to be winning here as kind of a make good for having been essentially snubbed for the last 30 years of his career. Right. But it's not for work that I think is deserving of an Oscar. So I don't know how I feel about that. I don't like how I feel about yeah. that. <laughs> because like, I want to see him win. I want him to win again. But I don't really want him to win for this. Exactly. He you know, he should have won for any of his recent Star Wars scores. He should have won for War Horse. I mean, those are just four examples in the last roughly decade that were much more worthy than the Fablements. Yeah, I had this on my top 10, but I took it off. And, you know, I, I agree with everything that you said, because on one hand, it's it's fine. It's, you know, I, I'll listen to it, like, if I'm reading, for example. Right. Um, do we really want to give John Williams an Oscar for a lower tier score? And I know you had mentioned that this was gaining some steam in the award circuit recently or ha had been kind of hyped up. So I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the prognosticators, the uh, the big money in Vegas right now. Um, <laughs> he's he's the 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 favorite to win. Now he's not running away with it, but I believe the score that won the Golden Globe or the BAFTA, one or the other, didn't even end up getting nominated. So I think if he's if he's going to win one, he's going to win this time because I don't think he's going to win next year for Indiana Jones. I mean, that'd be great. Like yeah. if that score is even halfway decent, that's more the kind of score I would like to see him win again for. Right. But, um, you know, and again, it, it's not a bad score. And if we were doing like a top 10 themes of the year, like the, the main theme that he wrote would be on that list. But just the score overall, I don't think is his strongest work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll see uh, what our, our feelings are post Oscars. Yeah. In another month. <laughs> Why is it in the middle of March? What I thought they, I thought they only did that in years where there was the winter Olympics. I thought we were back mm. to, it's supposed to be in February, but now it's like March 13th. I don't, I don't like it. No, <laughs> it let's, gives let's me, wrap, let, let's no. wrap this up. Let, <laughs> I don't, I don't like waiting months and months and months into the new year to deal with last year's business. Well, for me, it gives me more time for Oscar Death Race. So okay, well, more time to see things. Good luck to you. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Brett, you have some uh, honorable mentions you want to highlight here before we get into our top five. Yeah. So, again, I, I could have probably picked another five. I could have talked about 15 scores that I really enjoyed this year. But I want to just quickly do some quick hits on these five honorable mentions. So one... Going back a full year ago, this came out in uh, February of 2022, Patrick Doyle's Death on the Nile. Kind of old-fashioned, mysterious, atmospheric, and here's sort of the main thematic thrust of the score. It's from the cue called Death on the Nile.
Well, I'm glad you like this score because I found it rather underwhelming. Oh, no. Compared to Murder on the Orient Express. I, I, but, I do think Mur- Murder on the Orient Express is much better. Yes, I agree. You know, there are some good cues. I have I have some cues on my uh, best scores of 2022 list. So, All right. My next honorable mention, we have to talk about Danny Elfman oh. and, and his reunion with Sam Raimi for go. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, the score is on my honorable mentions really only for one cue, and it's somewhat ironic because it's a cue that is based thematically on material that Danny Elfman didn't write. Mm-hmm. It's it's the cue called Lethal Symphonies, also known as the music fight for people <laughs> who have seen the movie. It's, the, it's, I think, the best scene in the movie. I agree. And the way Danny Elfman uses Toccata and Fugue in D minor is really clever. It's very entertaining. And it's very Elfman. So let's listen to Lethal Symphonies. My next honorable mention is the first score that we're going to be talking about from Michael Giacchino, who we're going to hear a little bit more about throughout this. And it's Jurassic World Dominion. Not a great score. I don't think it's his best Jurassic World score, but it does have what I think is the single best action cue of the year. And that is the cue called Da Plane and Da Cycle. So let's listen to that.
my next honorable mention is from Halloween Ends. The score by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies. It's a cue called The Procession. And this is textbook Carpenter, the way he sort of starts with a very simple motif and then gradually layers on more and more elements and layers on top of that. Just really kind of sums up what his approach to these recent Halloween films uh, has sounded like. So this is The Procession. And then my last honorable mention, again, Michael Giacchino. It is the score he wrote for his own directorial effort, mm -hmm. Werewolf by Night. And this is the cue called Main Title. That's that's M-A-N-E, by the way. Yes, because <laughs> it's Giacchino. You know you're going to have puns. And this is kind of an interesting fusion of, well, the, the, the project itself is very much a throwback to sort of the universal horror films of the 30s and 40s. And there's sort of a a strain of that influence in the music. It sounds sort of somewhat Eastern European, but then there's also modern electronic stuff sort of mm -hmm. layered on top of that. And I think it's a marriage that probably shouldn't work, but I think Giacchino pulls it off pretty well. So here's the main title from Werewolf by Night. Yeah, I love I love these. Uh, there's going to be a couple more scores, but I love this blend of, you know, moodiness and old fashioned old Hollywood style uh, yeah. motifs. All right. So that brings us to our best of the year. I have a top 10 list. Uh, I'll throw it in the show notes, um, but I'm just going to highlight not necessarily my top five, but ones that I think are kind of interesting. So the first one I want to throw out here is 
uh, an Oscar-nominated score for this year, All Quiet on the Western Front by Volker Bertelman. And I wanted to highlight this one because it's kind of a curiosity to me. It reminds me a lot of uh, Hans Zimmer's score for Dunkirk that came out a few years back, mostly because it's it's hard to listen to on its own, but it works incredibly well in the film. And just what he's done to create this mood of destruction, as he calls it. So he creates this mood of destruction with this three-note uh, motif. And he did it in a way where he kind of repurposed an old harmonium of his grandmother's to get this really almost kind of dies irae three-note progression. And it's unsettling and it's very fascinating to listen to. So first, the first track I'm going to highlight is called Remains, which opens the film. second cue I want to throw out here is called Tanks, where you get more of that three-note motif, but uh, really built upon in this really tense sequence. So take a listen. My number five pick is Crimes of the Future by Howard Shore. And to me, it sort of feels like it's been a while since Howard Shore has even threatened to make like a top five for me. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, re I really enjoyed his Hobbit scores, but like those are going back on, you know, 10 years plus now at this point. And this is Howard Shore back with David Cronenberg and the movie itself, I think, is terrific. It's a complete return to form for Cronenberg. And I think you can hear that Shore could kind of tell that because his music sounds reinvigorated to me. It's 
very moody, very atmospheric. The sort of the thematic construction is not like there are not themes that immediately like jump out at you as you're listening, but there are motifs and they're kind of vintage Howard Shore. But then on top of that, there's this whole electronic element that feels like an area to me that Shore hasn't explored very often. And it works really well in the context of this movie and sort of what the subject matter is. And I just think it's, it's very, very good work. So this is Crimes of the Future by Howard Shore. I should have mentioned uh, we should be playing a drinking game where every time I say underwhelmed, you take a drink because I've been under uh, somewhat underwhelmed by Shore lately. But uh, I agree. This is a great return to form for him. And his his score for The Pale Blue Eye, the, the Netflix Christian Bale mm-hmm. film, um, that was pretty good, too. That was although that was very kind of like a Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Riff, <laughs> but uh, but solid. All right. My next pick is from. Raymond and Ray by Jeff Beale. And I feel like this one is kind of like a hidden gem of scores this year because it's got some really mellow uh, jazz flavorings throughout, uh, which really kind of elevate the score and potentially give the film a much more interesting tone. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but I like what's going on here. And you can hear a little bit of that um, really mellow jazz motifs in this cue, His Little Altar.
sounds like smoky lounge music. Yeah. And I, I mean that in a good way. Like, I like that kind of vibe. Yeah, I don't think you would get the feel that this was about two brothers digging the grave of their father as, uh, no. as a plot. <laughs> All right. My number four score of the year is from the movie Pearl by Tyler Bates and Timothy Williams. And this is another score that you can feel was sort of the approach itself was directly informed by the approach of the film. So the movie is taking place towards the tail end of World War One, but the the filmmaking and aesthetic approach of the movie is to be a throwback to sort of the technicolor melodramas of the late 30s, early 40s. And the score here by Bates and Williams is 100% a throwback score. Like this almost could be a, a lost score from that period if mm -hmm. they'd somehow managed to record one on like modern recording technology. So the one cue I wanted to highlight here is called Hot House Rag. And I think it speaks for itself. Like this is this is something you're either going to listen to and and sort of smile and appreciate because it's just fun or you're going to be a, a bit perplexed as to why this is interesting. But it particularly works in the context of the scene that it is scoring, which is a, uh, a pretty terrific showcase for Mia Goth, who, by the way, gave the best performance of the year by any performer in this movie, not nominated for an Oscar, just saying. I'm not bitter. <laughs> of course not. We don't nominate horror movies. No. I'm going to throw uh, the Pearl main titles in our in our playlist because mm -hmm. uh, those deserve to be heard as well. So, yes. All right. My next pick is Babylon by Justin Horwitz. And this might be what I describe as La La Land on crack. Mm. Um, but I like how we get the mixture of brass percussion and I think even some berry sacks in there just kind of mm -hmm. churning out this energetic rhythm. Uh, and it's all pretty much indicative of what's to come in the rest of the score. So here's the cue, welcome. 
All right. You got Hold some on. thoughts about well, this. Yeah. So here's here's the thing. I like Justin Hurwitz a lot. I like the instincts and, and the way he approaches most films. I think First Man is an excellent score that nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. My my issue with Babylon, and it's it's partially informed by the movie itself, which uh, I didn't love and I found kind of overbearing in, in not a very good way. And I think the score is an accurate reflection of the movie. So mm-hmm. if you if you really like the energy of the movie, you're probably going to really like the energy of the score. But to me, it feels like there are about three pieces and it's just variations of these same three pieces over and over <laughs> and over and over for three hours. And it's just way, way, way too much for me. Sure. Which is saying something because I'm somebody who loves excess in film scoring. And I, it just, to me, this feels like an assault and that, like I'm being bludgeoned by this music, <laughs> sure. which maybe is partially intentional. I mean, cause I think that's kind of what the movie wants to be doing to some extent. So, you know, Hurwitz is following his directives clearly, yeah. but, um, this is not a score that I'm going to listen to, you know, anywhere close to the amount of times that I would listen to something like first man or, or the underscore to la la land. All right. My next pick, my number three score of the year is Nope by Michael Abels. And this is a really interesting score to me because it sort of straddles two genres. You've got very effective suspense music, and you've also got sort of this Western cowboy music as Mm -hmm. well that is slightly tongue-in-cheek but also slightly played straight and it works really well so i'm going to present two cues to listen to here one is called the run urban legends And in that cue, you can sort of hear the approach to 
the the action of the movie, which again is sort of Western inflected, but it's not kind of over the top. You wouldn't think like this is necessarily a Western movie that this is scoring. But then there's the end credits piece, which is just called Nope. And this is sort of pure Ennio Morricone kind of inspired Western music. And it's wonderful. And it's particularly wonderful because, you know, the movie is taking place in the desert and there is sort of this Western town tourist trap type attraction. But the movie itself does not come across as a Western per se, but the idea to sort of infuse that style into the score and therefore into the film, I think was just a brilliant choice. So this is the end credits from Nope. My next pick is from an animated feature called The Sea Beast, music by Mark Mancina, and the cue is called Prelude to the Sea. And now, what could easily have been a Pirates of the Caribbean score ripoff becomes a really smart blend of rousing melodies and poignant motifs, and I think it's one that doesn't overdo the tired bombast of a pirate score. So take a listen to Prelude to the Sea.
Yeah, this one would have been on my short list of honorable mentions as well. And I think, you know, you're talking about how it, it it's not inspired by the Zimmer kind of Pirates of the Caribbean sound. It's much more kind of an old fashioned throwback to the, you know, corn Goldian type swashbuckling mm-hmm. stuff. And and we don't get a lot of that in scores certainly for animated films and it's kind of just a pleasure to hear that sort of style brought back in in sort of a big sweeping way again yes okay speaking of big and sweeping my number two pick of the year is avatar the way of water by simon franklin with original themes returning from james horner's score to the first avatar and I've seen criticism of this score out there that it is purely sort of a a Horner rehash, like an AI program was, you know, Mm. tasked with creating a James Horner score. I don't think that's entirely fair because there is a lot of original thematic material that Franklin created for this movie. And I want to highlight some of that here. So the first cue is called Leaving Home. And what you hear in this piece is definitely inspired by sort of the overall vibe of Horner's writing for the first Avatar, but it's channeled now into a new thematic statement. And similarly in the cue, Payakan.
you've got just kind of this, let me step back for a second <laughs> and talk about Horner's score for the original Avatar, which I think, you know, has a couple strong themes, but to me is most memorable because it creates sort of an, an atmosphere for Pandora that is sonically very inviting. And Franklin understands that in the sequel. So rather than, you know, loading every cue up with, you know, major long line melodies, although there are some in this score, it's much more about a vibe. It's much more about sort of the the feeling of being in this environment. And, you know, creating that musically is not the easiest thing necessarily, because you can just fall back on, you know, electronic textures or, you know, strange whatever. But Franklin understands how to create a feeling that is still appropriate for the movie and appropriate for the environments that are being depicted, but is also pleasant and engaging to listen to. And, you know, for, again, for the criticisms that this is just sort of a, a Horner pastiche, in the moments in this score where you can hear, oh, well, that's from Aliens. Oh, well, that's from mm. Titanic. Oh, well, that's from, you know, Star Trek three. To me, that's part of the fun because that's what Horner did himself. Like, right. We did an entire episode about <laughs> how Horner used his own scores, you know, sort of repurposed them. I would want nothing less from another Avatar score than trying to maintain Horner's own approach. And I think Franklin did an excellent job of that here. Uh, yeah, I think even even better than what Horner produced in the in the first album. I mean, it could be arguable. Yeah, I mean, rest in I peace. Think, <laughs> yes, I mean, <laughs> I think I'll probably end up listening to this score more than I do the original. Yeah. All right, for my next pick, uh, I'm going to highlight "Glass Onion" by Nathan Johnson, and I think Johnson has kind of one-upped his Knives Out score with this one. Uh, I love the main theme that he's created. The melody is just really sweeping and grand, and it kind of plays into the setting of the film as well. And it also has a very sly feel to it. Like, you know, I'm going to lift my eyebrow mysteriously, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll hear that in this cue, theme from Glass Onion. Yeah, this is a really fun score, and I think even more so than Knives Out, yeah. it's really a throwback to kind of the classy whodunits of like the 70s and maybe even going into the 80s. Like this reminds me a lot of scores by guys like John Addison, John Morris, who could sort of do these kind of jaunty, kind of upbeat scores that somehow still fit in murder mystery territory. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Johnson does a really good job of that here. Okay, so my favorite score of 2022. Which is also mine. Requires us to once again talk about Michael Giacchino because it is the score to the Batman. And I don't want to keep harping on the Oscars, but 
we but have I will, to. I, I will for a moment here. I think it's kind of inexcusable that this didn't make the cut. This sounds unlike any other feature film score that I've heard from Giacchino thus far. And I've heard, I believe, basically all of them. I do think there is kind of some lost influence, strangely enough, in some of mm -hmm. the pieces here. But to me, the, the quality of this work, the technical level of this work, the blending of thematic writing and atmospheric suspense writing, all of this is at such a top-notch level that I do not understand it, any argument that could not place this at least in the top five of the year. So I want to highlight two specific cues, one of which is kind of this atmospheric suspense thing I was talking about, and that's the cue called, Are You a Kenzie or a Kantzie? And this is kind of in that Lost-inspired, like, this This is not too many degrees removed from some of his Lost suspense action material, just sort of souped up to 11 with a feature film budget and a full orchestra. And uh, I just think it's really effective at creating a sense of intrigue and a sense of sort of like the wheels spinning into motion as sort of a plot is unspooling in front of us. And then the second cue I wanted to highlight is called A Bat in the Rafters Part 2. And this is like the most full explosion of Giacchino's Batman theme in the entire score. And it's really impressive to me. The way that Giacchino handles this motif for Batman, which is relatively simple. Like it is not a complex theme for Batman at all. But the orchestration around and on top of that theme is truly excellent. Like there are like horror movie strings going on. There's like <laughs> horror movie brass. Like this sounds like, you know, Wojciech Kielar's Bram Stoker's Dracula score a little bit at times with yeah. sort of the, the brass, the harshness of brass. It's just really, really good stuff.
Yeah, I can't uh, praise this enough. And this wasn't even shortlisted for original score, which was mind-boggling to me. Uh, I've heard criticism, you know, uh, that three or four note motif that he he creates is uh, it's it's uninspired it's boring it no i I think the motif being simple is actually well i mean every part of a score is an intentional choice but is an intentional character defining choice because you know the batman is in the movie kind of supposed to be a, a a force of nature you know when bruce wayne takes on that persona you know he is kind of a well, a force of nature. And I think that motif, simplistic as it is, gets that across. But when people complain about this motif being simplistic, it's like they're disregarding that there are other themes in the movie. It's like this is not if that was the only theme in the score. I would see that as a criticism that is valid. Sure. But you have a theme for Catwoman. You have a theme for the Riddler. You have a theme that I would argue is more for Bruce Wayne himself. And I think all that stuff is very good. So I think it's a well-rounded score. It's a dark score. But yeah, and there are, there are you know, notes of optimism towards the end as well. So it's not like this is an oppressive listening experience. And if you're a person who enjoys sort of the, the intrigue, suspense stuff, there, this is just a goldmine of that kind of scoring. Yeah, we kind of talked about this, too, on I think it was our Hans Zimmer episode with our friend Luke, where, you know, this Batman score has a four note theme, the same as the last couple Batman scores uh, by James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer Mm -hmm. and Danny Elfman as well. So they all kind of play on this four note motif or theme in very different ways and very effective ways, I think. Yes. Well, there you have it, listeners. Go out and listen to the Batman. Go out. And stick it to the Academy. And tweet to the Academy that Batman deserves more. Justice for the Batman. <laughs> there you go. You can find our companion playlist to this episode in the episode description. Uh, we're on Spotify. And I'll throw some links into my top 10 list, my best scores of 2022 playlist. And... Uh, as we gear up for season four, we'd like to hear from you, listeners, fans, if there are even any of you out there. Drop us a line at lookingtoscorepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. Um, if you have questions, if you have comments, anything you want to hear from us, opinions, whatever, we'd like to hear from you. If you want to hear me talk more about the James Bond series, please let me know. Yes, specifically on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll have to do a full episode of that just for you. I, I, it's getting close to that time. I, think. <laughs> yes, I have to get it out of my system yeah. somehow. Yep. All right. Until then, we will see you at some point this year for season four. Take care. Take care.